Welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, and in just a minute, I'll be joined by Cheryl Ray Stout. This podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And now I'm joined by my friend and fellow reporter, Cheryl Ray Stout from WBEZ in Chicago. And you can follow Cheryl on Twitter at C Ray Stout. And Cheryl, the Bulls season, it's a little bit over three weeks old, you know, having finished up uh, with a win, by the way. So they're riding a one game winning streak. Um, And anyway, once again, they're watching other teams in the playoffs, which has become, unfortunately, a uh, annual thing over the last bunch of years. Anyway, how would you sum it up? It was a weird year to say the least, but how would you sum up the Bulls season? I, I think it was hard to figure out what they had because you had such a big change in the front office and they had to figure out what they had, especially you've got Larry Market in the situation. COVID played a big, big role in it. New Year's Day you had, was it five players that had COVID issues? So, you know, it was like stop start. They didn't have many practices. Um, there's a lot of things. And, and I think when the trade happened, I, I like the trade. You know, giving up a one could be difficult to, to swallow, but they got another all-star. And, but they had no time to practice. And they completely changed the, the makeup of the team, and there's no time to figure it out. I mean, training camp, if anything it proved, training camp is important, especially when you're putting together a new team. And I think that's what affected this, this club. But you saw, you know, Zach Levine, Definitely, you know, proved at his worth. Um, Kobe White is a much better player, but I don't think he's a point guard, right? I just don't, I don't see that. Um, but you see, still see the flaws. And you also see that the drafts that the, the Bulls have had in recent years was not very good. You know, that they're, how many real starters do they have from their recent drafts? And, and so that's a, that's a problem. Kobe White got, you know, inserted. And then, of course, he was put on the bench. So, that says an awful lot about what the previous uh, front office was like and what the present one has to deal with. And until the draft, I'm assuming until the de- deadline of the trading, we didn't know what type of uh, general manager our, our tourist was. We just did, or actually I should say vice president. We didn't know what kind of guy he was. So we know he's a, he's a guy that likes to move and shake it. You know, it's really interesting. Um, the draft lottery is coming up in less than two weeks. And Arturis Karnishevis on that final Zoom press conference when the season was over, he was asked repeatedly, what is your plan? And he didn't answer the question. And, you know, he's got to have about four or five plans in mind because 
if by chance they get one of those top four picks in the draft lottery, whether they get lucky or the league rigs it, whatever way you want to say it. But let's just say they get a top four pick. That will change a lot of different things as opposed to if they don't, and like you alluded to, they're giving up a first-round pick to get uh, Vucevic. I mean, it's the world of difference if they get a first-round pick or if they don't. And if they don't, Cheryl, I have no idea what their plan is. I think they're going to look overseas. I think that's. I think they're probably going to, you know, because that's that's Arturis's strength. He knows the European League. He knows the players there really well. I mean, that's why we're seeing, you know, the the MVP, Djokovic being the MVP because you know. So he that's where he has to look because if you can't get it in the draft, if you're not going to have a top pick and you got to go in the second round, you either have to make a deal or you're going to have to look someplace else. The worst thing that happened to them was the when they won that last game. Their chances went from 25% to 20%. I mean, that's when you throw in the towel, you, you know, <laughs> you're not going to the postseason. You should have improved your chances, and they didn't do it. No, they really didn't. All right, let's just say, like I said, if they get lucky or if the league decides, oh, okay, the Bulls will get a top four pick. <laughs> Let's just say they even get a number one or number two overall pick. And listen, there's precedent. Even the year they got Derrick Rose, their percentage was, what, 1.7 or something yep. like that. All right, let's just say they get one or two. What player are you taking? I mean, this Cade Cunningham, I believe is his name, from Oklahoma State. He's he's supposedly the number one pick overall. And there's a kid at USC who's a seven-footer. But they really do need a point guard so bad. And the kid sugs out at Gonzaga. And I, you know, I'm sure neither one of us has gone over draft tapes, tapes at this point, but it seems like he would be such a natural fit because A, he's a point guard, B, he plays defense, three, the kid is a winner. So, I mean, w- w- would you go after that kind of player, even if somebody is even more ultra talented? This is where I think if you get that high draft pick, that you do find a good trade trading partner to get a, a veteran point guard. You know, because I, you get the feeling, especially with Billy Donovan, they want to win now. Do you want another rookie playing the point for you at this at this juncture? And I, I think the answer is no. And so I, I, I think if you could get a top pick, again, you would make a deal. And and, you, and maybe get the, get the point guard you want it from another team that has one that maybe would fit you. That or, But the other avenue, of course, is taking one of those guys. Suggs is really good. I mean, and he can shoot from the outside too. So he, he, he's a, he's a pretty uh, established package, but I, I, I really think that they are trying because you, just the way they, they did things, the people that they offloaded, I think they're, they're really looking for now. And, and even though Billy Donovan is very good at developing these guys, I think he wants to win now too. I would hope so. You know, and, and um, we're, we're kindred. We're both of the mindset. I mean, I say Kobe White, and Kobe White's a good kid, and he's he's coachable, and he tried really hard, and he actually did improve as the season went on. But he's not a point guard. He's just not a point guard, and his 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 future and present is for the next ten to twelve years is coming off the bench as a sixth man. Lou Williams, um, Jamal Crawford, Vinnie Johnson. I mean, you can pick some of the great players that have come off the bench and still score 20 points a game and help your team win. And I do believe that's what his role is. Anyway, there are going to be some point guards who are available. 
veterans, like you said, if it's not in in a, in a trade scenario, free agency, but they're so costly. And now you got other things you got to worry about. I mean, to get either, and I'm not saying they're getting a Chris Paul or a Kyle Lowry or or somebody of that ilk. And there are other guys available. Uh, Mike Conley is another one, but that's going to cost you 20, 25, maybe more million than that. Now you got to start renouncing some people on your roster. And we haven't even got to Lowry marketing yet, but now I'll throw him into the equation. And Thad, um, Thad, you throw into the equation as well. And and maybe Sadoransky. So to get one of those guys, I mean, that's why I'm saying they better have about five different plans in mind. And it all starts with that draft lottery. Yeah. And and, and I think when you, you've got the different backgrounds from the different organizations, so you're getting you're getting more voices of what to expect. You're getting more voices of knowing how other general managers work instead of having the small scope of of, of information that they've had in the past. So they they should they, to, to your point, they should have several scenarios figured out. And bringing up Larry Markkinen, do you think that Larry Markkinen could be a sign and trade? Yeah, I think I think he could be a sign and trade. Listen, Lowry Marketing gambled on himself before the season started. He didn't take their offer. And on the surface, you think, okay, well, he didn't start, and then he was relegated to the bench, and yada, yada, yada. So he's not going to get his money. He is going to get his money. It's just a matter of who's going to give it to him. Because whether the Bulls sign him to the deal or sign and trade, somebody else in the NBA is going to sign him. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It could be Dallas. It could be almost anybody. And there are so many teams who always feel like, okay, well, the Bulls couldn't make him what he's, you know, potentially able to be, but we can't. So he's going to get a four or five year contract. It might not be at the ultimate max, but it's going to be healthy, healthy. And so, you know what? He gambled and a lot of people think he lost. He didn't lose anything. He's going to get his money. And the fact is he did have some history where he had success. And if, if he if he had like every year was a bad year, then you go okay. But he did have some success, and you look at the, uh, the coaching changes. So there's always another coach. There's always another team going. I can make him an all star. I we can do it. There, there's always that ego involved that you know. Well, they 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 toss him aside. Well, we we can make a better play. And I think Larry Markin is a really good player. And it's just that the systems, you know, he got all screwed up with the different systems he had to do. And I think he sulked, sulked a little bit. And, and I think I think that that, that in, in, impacted him. Another player that had COVID. So, you know, we don't know if some of these players that had the COVID issues, we don't know if it completely uh, put them off or they're just not good enough. You know, it's really, uh, uh, Markkinen, when he first came on the scene, his very uh, rookie season, I mean, you saw the potential there, and I think in the month of February, he was like almost like player of the league or something like that. And he's had, as you alluded to, Cheryl, he's had his ups and downs. He's one of those what I call unicorn kind of players. He's a 7-1 legit um, player who can shoot from the outside, doesn't go inside enough for my taste. Yeah, he should have done that more. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and his defense is eh, and his rebounding is eh. But you know what? He he's like I said, he's going to get his money. I just don't think he's going to be on a Bulls roster next year for a, for a litany of reasons. And so he's one of your bargaining chips. You know, you have to look at him as being an asset. You just can't let him. You know, because he's going to be restricted free agent. I mean, they you know they would have to match it to keep him. But why not use that asset and maybe another player on the roster too to make it a package deal? I just see 
on draft day, depending on how the lottery goes. I just see on draft day by that day that they're going to make a deal to address the issue of point guard. There's no doubt about that. They have to get that taken care of. And I think that's the only way to, and he is the, he's the one that they can really do it with unless they decide to uh, package Kobe white. And I don't think so, but yeah, I, I just, I just think who else could you do it with on that team? Uh, oh boy. Uh, young players. There's they traded them all the way. They traded, they traded away. I mean, Daniel Gifford actually played well with Washington. Yeah, he did. He did. You know? uh, Chandler Hutchinson was a great cheerleader and, and, <laughs> I still want to know what happened with him. Me too. He must have punched somebody because he was he was incognito and you know he wasn't even practicing. Yada yada. Then all of a sudden he gets traded to Washington. And he's playing that very first day, but then you know he he uh, he was relegated to the bench after that. But you're right, Gafford played very well once he got to Washington, and I think there's a role for him in in Washington going forward. And Brooks didn't even use him correctly in the playoffs. When he was like, "What are you doing?" He was he was the only one that was active for his height, and and they, they didn't use him correctly. And I'm like, "What the heck?" Because I actually I started watching the last uh, several games of Washington before the playoffs, and I was like, "Wow, he, you know he he really can play." Yeah, I mean he's uh, I don't know if he's a starting center in the NBA because I don't think he scores well enough, but boy, he's a, a really really good backup who comes in and plays defense which is what I thought uh, Daniel Tice did when he came to the Bulls. And I'm jumping ahead of myself, but, you know, if Daniel Tice – and there's another player who's going to – everything depends on money with the Bulls, everything. Um, but if they find the money, I, I'd love for him to come back. Whether – I don't know if he's a starter either, but I think he's a great backup who plays good defense um, and is, you know, a typical Chicago blue-collar kind of player. So, I don't know. Like I said, everything with the Bulls depends on money, everything. And, and it matters if if they can convince Michael can convince Jerry. Let's go over the cap. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, and the thing would be, they would be looking at their bankroll for this upcoming season. You know, if you're going to be able to have 100 percent people capacity in there, and you're going to give a team that possibly would be in the playoffs, you could probably go to Jerry. Jerry, we could, or Dad, Dad, we could, we could, we can, you know, we can afford to pay the the luxury tax by, you know, letting us get some of these players under contract. And I think Daniel Tice is great. And when I was talking about Dan, Daniel Gafford, um, and, and you need to have somebody that comes off the bench. And that's where Kobe White is. You know, if you could get, you know, those those bench players that could come in and and really push it, especially when I work. But one thing about the Bulls this year is they didn't know how to finish anything off. And if you have success with your bench, then your starters have had enough resting time. They could come in and finish off a team. And that's something that hurt them. And Daniel Tice is, is really, a, he's a good fit for them. Yeah. Again, he's a Chicago kind of player that you would root for because he does all a lot of the dirty stuff on top of being a pretty good basketball player. You know, I'm, I'm digressing here, but when you talked about Michael and, and Jerry, when he goes to his father, do you think he calls him dad, daddy, papa? Daddy Warbucks, what what do you you know, Dad, Daddy? We need some money to spend on some players. What do you think Michael calls uh, Jerry when he needs uh, an ultimate favor for the team? Jr. Yeah, the, no doubt. His initials. Take a look at my cufflinks. It's Jr. That's how you're referring to me. Don't call me Dad ever. I mean, I you know we do know. I mean, Michael is he's in charge. But when it comes to money, Jerry isn't the decision maker. Yeah. So that's that's where it's going to go with that. 
must have been really interesting growing up in that household. Um, you know, you mentioned Billy Donovan before. I thought Billy Donovan was great. Um, the only drawback I would say about Billy Donovan, and that's why I wouldn't give him an A, is that unfortunately, and we'll talk about Patrick Williams also, Patrick Williams did not develop the way I think even Billy Donovan hoped he would. And that was the one key player, along with Kobe White, who I thought got better and better, like I said. But Patrick Williams did not develop, but uh, enough so. I think, but again, he's only 19 years old even still. Billy Donovan, I thought, was so good, especially with the media. Every Zoom, pregame, postgame, practice, he was very honest with his thoughts. He never demeaned anybody, whether media or players. I thought he was really good. My question is, Arturis Karnishvis only did one, two, maybe three at the most Zoom press conferences before, during, and after the season. Do we, do you have any idea what Arturis Karnishevis is all about? Or is he still that mystery man, sort of? I think he's a mystery man. And I think he likes it that way because no rumors have come out of that, out of the Advocate Center or, you know, no, nothing. I have not heard any, not even from, uh, you know, any of the big NBA uh, writers. Nobody's getting anything. And I think he likes it that way. And it's, it's pain in the ass for us because you really want to try to figure this out. Here's, I'm going to tell you a little something. Uh, uh, the other day, Doug Collins is no longer with the organization from, I think he moved to uh, Philadelphia. And so that, you know, so there's no, there's nobody, there's no links that you could get to, to people to give you information. And I think that's where they, they want it. So it's, it's tough. And I, and, and I, I always think that general managers should always be available at least once every two weeks or, you know, it's sometimes they, more than just a trading deadline and, and, and pre and, and post season, there should be more time to talk to him. And maybe just because of the zoom calls, I do know that he monitors the zoom calls. Yeah. Yeah. I was told that, you know, he did his due diligence on the media members and sort of got like a bio in advance of the, and then he does listen into all the zooms really interesting stuff. I mean, Hey, you talk about what's going on in Washington with the previous administration, and I don't want to get too much into politics here, but how they were sort of uh, finding out about reporters. I mean, in his own way, yeah, maybe Arturis Karnishvis was doing the same thing. That's weird. Well, there's a lot of things weird about some of that stuff that went on with the Zoom calls and stuff, and I don't want to get into that. But, uh, but, but I, you know, the thing is that he, he comes – with such a great backing of fandom and and he could probably embrace it even more if he was a little more visible to the media and that could only help and i i think the bulls may have trouble selling tickets if they don't if they don't have something on you know that, that people are going to say hey i really want to go to the game because i want to see xyz and that's why this off season is going to be really important for him to make sure that that because they they made a, a big trade and they still didn't make the playoffs so this better be a team that everyone feels comfortable will be making the postseason. Cheryl, speaking of that big trade, and, and I was an advocate of it uh, after the fact. I mean, I didn't know it was going to happen in advance. But again, to get an all-star center, it's just not easy to do. They don't grow on trees. So, I, I, I you know, you hate giving up first-round picks. And who knows? You know, you might not lose it this year. That'll be really interesting to see what happens. But the pairing of Levine and Vucevic going forward, it almost seems like if you're going to be any kind of successful kind of team, you have to have that in the NBA. You got to have a big man. You got to have another uh, 
uh, a scoring guard, if you will, and they play off each other. The only problem with both those players, I mean, Zach's been in the NBA for seven years and has not sniffed the playoffs yet uh, with all the success personally from him. Vucevic is 10 years in the league. He's been in the playoffs three times, but his rookie season in Philadelphia, he was no factor in that. So basically in, in his 10 years, he's only been in the NBA uh, playoffs twice and they didn't do anything in those two playoffs. So what, where I'm getting with this is, is this a pairing that can work? And hopefully they will be paired together for at least the next two or three years. Are, are they good enough individually and collectively to make a difference for this organization going forward? Well, on your point on, on Zach Levine, what I what I appreciated this year that he actually did something that he hadn't done well in the past, and that was work on his defense. And I think he made that stride. And 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 again, I go back to when you don't have enough practice time, and I think that hurt them. I mean, they, they, but what's happened in the league in the NBA? How many really stars or potential stars do you have to have in order to succeed? It's it's three. It's not just two. You have to have three. And, and or you have this unbelievable wealth, you know, up and down your roster. But generally speaking, you have three really high quality players that can run systems or create shots. And that's something that Zach Levine can create. But I, you know, I, I want to see more where they rely on each other instead of individual uh, individual working. Well, and that's where Patrick Williams, again, comes into play here in this conversation, you know, as a third wheel, if you will. Um, I think we've seen what his talent can be. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's a decent mid-range shooter from the outside, further out. I'm not crazy about his three-point shot. He shoots like an old uh, player that maybe you and I will remember, Howard Porter, where the ball is uh, up in the sky before it comes down. Um Anyway, he, he's potentially that third wheel. You know, he's got an NBA body, no ifs, ands, or buts. He's already a man-child already. Again, only 19 years old. Um, why didn't Patrick Williams even get better as the season wore on? I mean, what what is it in his DNA that doesn't make him be more aggressive? Because at Florida State, he deferred to the older players. He was the freshman. I get it. He comes into the NBA. He's a rookie. He's still deferring. Thad Young was on his case all season. Billy Donovan was on his case all season. Zach Levine, same thing. He talked a good game that he was going to be more aggressive, but he wasn't. Can he? Will he? I, I think it's a maturation issue with him. I, I also think that he didn't play a lot of minutes in college as opposed to what you know they're going to expect him to do now. And and when you're reluctant to shoot, and and when he, you know, he has to be, he has to be aggressive. No, because he could just not, you know, he has the ability to get through to the basket, to the rim with authority. And that's something that this team also needs. But I think this last year, this last year is very hard to really analyze all the rookies because of what they went through. I, I try to put myself in their, in their shoes. Can you imagine you're, you're 19 years old, you come to the city of Chicago, you're, pretty much have to stay in your apartment. You're, you know, the, the, the uh, practices, you know, are, are kind of weird. You're doing all this testing. And so I think that played a, a role into his personal being. And I think, I, I wonder if that stymied him somewhat or if that, or if we're seeing really that's his pure personality. I'm kind of pushing aside some of the rookie issues until next year. And I want to see them have a regular camp 
where there, you know, there's no worry about testing. There's no worry about COVID. There's no worry about this stuff. And, and seeing him take the next step that way. I think it's a great move that he's going to play out in summer league in Las Vegas. I mean, the more is the merrier with this kid, because again, he's, I think he was the second youngest player literally in the NBA. And so uh, any, any further exposure to the professional game around the coaching staff, yada, 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 I think it's going to be a good thing for him. It is interesting though, because I took a look at some of the other rookies and LaMelo ball, I don't even know. Do they have rookie of the year? If not, he's going to be the rookie of the year, but Anthony Edwards had a similar um, initial arc of his season to Patrick Williams. I mean, he was sort of um, uh, just, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? He was complacent. And then all of a sudden at the halfway point, man proved to be the number one overall pick. He he really played well in their last 30 games and Minnesota is a better team than their record showed. Anyway, so I'm hoping the same thing happens with Patrick Williams because I think not only is he a good kid, I think he's a very talented young man. And you know what? The other thing is they didn't get any tournament, tournament, uh, tournament time. Excuse me. You know they they weren't. There's no NCAA tournament. So they you know and that's kind of one of those things that could spark uh, players. You know immediately getting into the NBA. They didn't have that. You know, and I think that that cost. I think that cost some of the maturation process of going forward into the NBA. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hold judgment on his abilities until next year. If he does the same thing by the all-star break next year, then you got a problem. All right. Let's talk about one other player who God, he was great. And what a difference a coach makes to a player. Um, Jim Boylan is replaced by Billy Donovan. Thad Young went from horrendous his first year with the Bulls to really had a great season for the Bulls. So coaching does matter. Um, but again, money's going to dictate whether he stays or goes, unfortunately. Now, you would think they figure it out somehow to pay this guy and keep him because he's such a good presence in, in the locker room and obviously on the court as well. Um, I'm just wondering if you could talk about him and, and you know what you think is going to happen with him. And does it boil down to money whether he, he stays or goes? Yeah, he's got a partial guaranteed contract, so that the, the contract is going to matter with him. But I've always seen teams, when you have a strong veteran presence, it helps. It's not just on the court. It's off the court. It's, it's, it's trying to, you know, he's a perfect mentor for Patrick Williams. Zach Levine loves him. I mean, I, you don't hear a bad word, even, even before COVID issues when we were in the locker room. Those players all loved him. They, you know, they really did. And, and, and the fact is, Billy Donovan zeroed in knowing that he needed Thad Young in order to help this team move forward, in order to have this team start you know, developing. Because he's, he's was he played 14 years in the league now, and he's still coachable. That's a great, that's a great example for all the younger players that you have somebody like that that's coachable at this point in his career. And he's willing to do anything. Great passer, gives up his body. I mean, the way he would take a charge, you're like, wow, you know, and I, I would text his wife, I'm going, what's he like the next day? <laughs> he's pretty bruised up after, you know, playing games the way he does. So those the, those are rare, the players that you get at this point in their career. Because he's, yes, he's going to cost money, but he doesn't cost a lot of money. And when you really look at, you know, the scope of how much money you have to pay in salary. So the experience, I think, trumps the concerns about salary with him, period. 
as I said earlier in, in this podcast, um, unfortunately, the Bulls have made it an annual rite of passage now not to be in the postseason. You and I have experienced at the highest level the Bulls in the postseason and how loud, you know, I got I got a kick out of when they talk, well, God, Madison Square Garden was jumping, for, you know, for the Knicks, even though they were eliminated very quickly by Atlanta. Can you just talk to uh, about how loud first it was at the Chicago Stadium and now over at the um, at the United Center, what the atmosphere is for playoff basketball in Chicago? Well, the stadium, there was nothing like the stadium because it was so small, you know, it, it, it contained it. But even the United Center being the largest, it's the largest seated uh, stadium in the NBA. There, you When you, you got playoff basketball at the at in Chicago, your ears are ringing. And, you know, like you almost feel like you're losing your hearing when you leave because everyone is involved. Everyone's intent. You know, the 300 level is one of my favorite places to walk around during playoffs because those people pay the cheapest tickets and they are the biggest fans. Those are the ones that will go crazy. And I think if we see, we did see it when with Derek Rose and Joakim Noah and Luol Deng when when they were having their, you know, they didn't get to the finals, but we, you could feel the the whole place vibrate, vibrate from the sound. Yeah, it, it's interesting that you brought up because I was thinking that exact series when they played Boston and there was all those overtime games. And I thought, well, there's no way the United Center could ever be louder than the stadium, even though there's more people crammed in there because it's so vast. But that might have been the loudest I've ever heard at the United Center. And and there is a, you know, that people think that Chicago's not a, a basketball. If anybody who thinks, I should say, that Chicago's not a basketball town, they're out of their minds because it really is, especially when the Bulls are, you know, riding high and especially when they get into the postseason. All right, speaking of playoff basketball and the Bulls, uh, for people who, you know, are out of town who might be listening to this, you know, and I'm always going to go to my grave saying Michael Jordan's the greatest athlete I'll ever hope to be around, which he is and was. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences with Michael? Because I've gone on ad nauseum saying he's the greatest thing ever. You know, David, we've been very fortunate. And I was really fortunate because my career started with his career, basically with the Bulls. You know, I I, I was able to spend a lot of time with him because I worked for the flagship station. And so I did a lot. Of, I got one-on-ones with him all the time. And when we were doing live pregame, postgame, whatever, he would always give me an interview right away. And at one point it was funny. Um, we're, we're going to the postseason during this was during the heyday, of course. And my boss said to me, Hey, you know, can you, you know, always get one-on-ones with him when you're on the road with him? And I, I go, well, I'll ask him. He said, well, yeah, we'll, we'll give him some money. And I go, I went to Michael. I said, Michael, I said, can you do this for me? Can you give me uh, my own one-on-ones after the games? And he says, yeah, I'll do it, but you don't have to pay me. And I'm like, wow. But you know, I was lucky too because um, Michael was really good to me, and I, and and if you had if you had a one on one rapport with him, not just you know talking about going on the air or anything like that, but there was a there was a moment when um, I was able to find out that Michael was going to play baseball from somebody who was with the White Sox and the Bulls. Dropped that off and and told me that Michael because Michael had retired after his dad's murder. And, and so I, um, I did a lot of sourcing and I did it and I worked hard to get that story and I got it. 
And uh, Michael, of course, you know, went to play baseball. And before he went down to Sarasota, there was a press conference for a tops card at uh, Illinois you know, IIT, was where he was working out. So it was supposed to be a card with Wayne Gretzky, Reggie Jackson, Michael Jordan. And Michael was sitting there after the practice. And, he, you know, he had, he, I had done a lot of reporting on it. And I put my recorder on the table. And Michael goes, how you doing? I says, I'm fine. He said, he says, you've been really busy. <laughs> and I said, yeah. I said, are you okay? He says, everything you've done is fine. Don't worry about it. He knew that I had the story and stuff. So I was like, oh, great, go true. And then the other time was when he came back. At that point, people had dropped off of covering. They weren't, they weren't at the Berto as much. And I was one of the only reporters that knew what it was like behind that curtain. And so I got um, I got a message because back then we didn't have cell phones. You know, I had a beeper and we had you had to use a landline. And I got a I got a message that uh, Michael was there because I knew it was and it was there. And so I waited so after practice, and we we go in to talk to Phil. There was only five of us. We talked to Phil, and I waited till the reporters left, and I go, Hey, Phil, is Michael here? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> so he confirmed it for me. Then I got BJ Armstrong to tell me a little bit more. So I go back into the Berto uh, press room and I make a phone call to, to work, to go on the air live about, yeah, Michael's here and everything. My beeper's going off. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm live on the air. I can't listen. So I finished my, what I was going on the air. I look at the beeper and I call the person that told me originally that Michael was here too. And the guy goes, where were you? I said, I was live on there. He goes, I was, I had Michael here to talk to you. <laughs> I said, Oh no. But you know, I, I always appreciate it because he, he was very good to me. And I dealt with a lot of negativity going in the locker rooms, but never with him. And the thing is Michael recognized that. In fact, I was at a bears game covering the bears and he was there in the locker room and he was sitting off to the side. And I, <laughs> because I was smaller, I, I crawled underneath people's legs to get to the quarterback. And he's sitting there, and he's laughing. He goes, I never realized what you and the other, you know, had to go through. And, and it was, it was great because that he recognized that. And he made sure he told me that, it, you know, that it was something that he observed and uh, kind of said he kind of appreciated now what we did without knowing the, because what was it like in the locker room with him? It was just masses of people. And he, and he went through wave after wave after wave of people. And he got asked the dumbest questions. My favorite one was the guy from France. This is before Space Jam. He goes, Michael Jordan, if you were uh, go be able to go to Mars, what do you think? And I'm like, what? And Michael answered the question. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you couldn't be more right about it. First of all, I've always said, and I have some many of my own stories about Michael Jordan. I've always said not only was he a superstar on the court, to me he was a superstar off the court. And he was raised well as far as dealing with people, specifically from his mother, I'm sure. And yes, you're right. Wave after wave after wave. He was, you know, and always immaculately dressed, of course, at his locker after the game. He never did it unless he was, you know, incredible suits and everything else. And the dumbest, most inane questions. And he never barked or snapped. Every now and then he would smirk a little bit. You knew how he felt about certain people's questions, but he always answered them. 
And, you know, there's one specific time where I got stuck in this in the old stadium. And this is before they started winning championships, actually. And I, I got stuck in the Lakers locker room because I had to talk to Kareem. Um, and so I must must have been there a half hour, 45 minutes. And I'm running over to the Bulls locker room, praying that Michael's still there. Well, actually, at that point, Michael was already done. He was dressed and he's walking out of the locker room and he's got his um, gym bag holding and he's got like another suit bag over his shoulder, yada, yada, yada. And he's walking down the hall. This is the old stadium. OK, down the hallway there. And he sees me, goes, do you need me? And I said, yeah, Michael, God, I'm so sorry. I couldn't get in there. I mean, if you got a minute, he puts his bag down. He goes, take as much time as you want. And it was just me and him. And I will never forget that, never. And that's what he was. And, and I would see him out because I grew up in the same, well, I lived in the same area as he did. Later on, you couldn't get anywhere near him, of course. But early on, he would go out to restaurants in the local area. And I would see him periodically out in a restaurant with his entourage, of course. And one time he asked me, he goes, why didn't you come up to me and say hello? Because I saw him out for breakfast one time. And I said, you know, Michael, your time is your time. I mean, I, I get you, you know, in, in a locker room. I'm not going to come up to you. I just don't, don't want to, you know, be that kind of person. And I think he appreciated that. So, yeah, I will always say that he is not only the greatest athlete I was ever around, but he was most cooperative and dealing with the media and, and just dealing with so much nonsense that we all had, you know, that was thrown at him over all those years. And, and you know, the, the thing was, is that he knew who treated him well. He knew, he, you know, he could decide when, when he was with Washington and the first time they came to Chicago, I went to the practice and, and uh, I wanted to do one-on-one -on -one with him. And the PR person was trying, it was, you know, you can't do it. And Michael says, no, I will do it with her, you know? And I was like, yeah, okay, good. You know, I mean, he, he did appreciate those. And in fact, when he was playing um, baseball, he had somebody read or listen to everything that was said about him. And when Sports Illustrated, of course, did the cover back at Michael and he stopped doing anything with, with that. And then, he, you know, he came back and, and I asked to do, I sat down to do, I did a nice long one-on-one -on -one that was in a magazine and he, when we finished, he said, you realize there's only a few people that I'm ever going to do interviews with. And he actually had a list of in, in his mind who he would talk to, who he wouldn't talk to. And you had a good rapport with him. I had a good rapport with him. But there was people that he would never, ever talk to again because of a lot of things that were said and done about him. You know, little news that came out earlier today, and I'm sure you saw it. Um, Scotty Pippen's coming out with his own book. You know, he, he was so upset, apparently, with how he was portrayed in The Last Dance, the documentary. And, and he even was quoted today as saying, well, that was Michael's story. Now you're going to hear my story. And it might be vastly different in a lot of ways. Um, I hope he doesn't take any digs against Michael. because I, oh, I he will. Yeah, I'm sure he probably will. Um, and, uh, anyway, it'll be really interesting. What are your thoughts on that? I would say that take it with a grain of salt as far as the truth of some of this stuff, because his vision of what he saw, I know is going to be different than what we we saw. And I mean, Scotty, Scotty, Scotty was, Scotty had a, a very difficult upbringing, you know, and I think that that really says a lot of, there's a lot of players in the NBA that had, have had that issue and he had a real tough one. And, and the thing is, is that, I, I can't forget when Michael had his retirement at the Birdo and you had all this media. I mean, you had Tom Brokaw there. 
and Scotty was standing off to the side and he had sunglasses on. And when everything finished with Michael, all of a sudden the spotlight there where he was. And so we all went over to talk to him and I'm standing next to him and you could see terror in his eyes. See, he always wanted to be considered on the same level as Michael, but he never realized until Michael went through, you know, until Michael left that he was going to have to take that mantle. And I, and I, and, and they didn't really, they weren't real buddies that first go round, but I think there was a level of respect somewhat more in that second go round. And I think because Scotty knew that he had a lot on his back, but I will say that, um, Steve Kerr told me his favorite teammate was Scotty Pippen. Yeah, actually, a lot of the uh, players of, of both the, the trilogy of championships said that Michael was, of course, God, but Scotty was the player that they became closer to and was the better overall teammate. And I think that's pretty universal from all the players that I've talked to and you've talked to over the years. You know, because Michael was just in a different stratosphere. It's just I, I don't know how else to put it. But. Well, he also was very. He, Michael was had his his friend circle was from his where he grew up. Yeah. I mean, they, he he the only player that he really was friends with was Rod Higgins. Otherwise, and and Daryl Walker. But otherwise, his sphere was the guys from college, some from high school, and a couple other people. But there wasn't this. But where, where Scotty actually. You know, him and Horace were really, really good friends. And there was other guys in the team. Ron Harper was a real good friend of his. So he had more re- re- rapport with the players personally. Michael was professional. That's That was it. Yeah. I can't wait to read this book. Hopefully I get a free <laughs> copy, um, being a reporter that I am. And uh, I think Horace should write the foreword. So that is 10 cents in as well. <laughs> Horace, to me, it was the, probably the best post-game player to talk to because it was like putting a quarter in him and honesty every, I mean, he would, and one time Bill Cartwright smacked me in the leg. He goes, don't get him going. I said, well, it's not that hard. You just ask one question and he goes on and tells you the truth. And Taj Gibson was the same way when he was with the Bulls. I don't know, something about that power forward position. Although thinking what I just said, no, Dennis Rodman didn't fit that mold at all. He was just weird. weird. Charles Oakley was like that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's very honest with his thoughts. All right, a couple of last questions. Appreciate your time here, of course, Cheryl. Um, you talk about the three stars needed. I mean, the Brooklyn Nets have three stars. You know, I thought the Lakers would give them a battle, but they had so many injuries during the season, and, you know, they faded out here because of those injuries. I don't see Brooklyn losing to anybody the rest of the way. The only thing that would cost them if they don't have sustainable defense and I think, and they played defense, which I was surprised. I mean, they played okay defense, but um, yeah, they 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 are the favorites right now. But I really like I like Phoenix a lot. I just like the way they play. They have so many possibilities there. Um, they do have a big man, and and I think that what what was what it was interesting with uh, James Harden going down for the Nets. I think Blake Griffin has really played well. Yeah, yeah, and that's a surprise because. He's been he was useless, useless, you know, on on the bench during the regular season. So I think I think he could be the guy that can really help overcome the James Harden injury. All right, two last ones. Uh, do you like the play in uh, for the uh, eighth and ninth or seventh and eighth spots, along with the tenth and eleventh teams? I, I sort of do. I understand why some some people don't, but I think I like it 
But this mid-season tournament that they're talking about in the NBA, I mean, what the hell is that? Uh, they have the Olympics every four years, so that's that's the mid-season tournament. As far as I'm, I don't, really? I don't, I just don't like. I do like the playing game because I think most 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 teams then are not trying to tank for the draft picks. So you have more teams that have something to to, to play for as opposed to you know. Okay, let's let's. Even though I wanted the the Bulls to tank that last game, <laughs> but but the but this having a tournament mid season. I mean, is this college? Is this high school? It just doesn't seem right. No, it definitely doesn't seem right. Hey, Cheryl, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me here. Thank you.